Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. I'm finally back from becoming a man and thankful that I didn't stay at the Bates Motel while I was gone. Let's talk motels, mothers, and murder as we look at Psycho this week on Zach on Film. Motels, mothers, and murder. Isn't that that's a show with Guy Fieri, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the food channel. Fried food and frosted tips, baby. Yeah. <laughs> tips with a PS. Um, oh. <laughs> Many tips. Welcome English back. Tips. Welcome back, Zach. <laughs> Hey, what's up? Well, obviously a new film this week. Yeah. Well, not new. but It's 45 years old. What? No, 45? Is it really 45? 1960 is when this movie came yeah. out. So it's Psycho. 55 years old. Psycho is the movie that we're talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock. And we've actually got... I don't know how this worked out this way, but we've actually got a bunch of Alfred Hitchcock movies coming up this is our third hitchcock film to date isn't it we watched uh, we watched high noon was hitchcock no. vertigo <laughs> we watched vertigo vertigo and, and uh, strangers on a train and yeah. strangers on a train happened on Mulberry we still Street. we still haven't again this is all on this list that other people have compiled and yeah. i kind of whittled down and you know i not really paying attention we've got north by northwest we're doing psycho today mm-hmm. we've got rear window on the way yeah mm-hmm. um we've got that may be the only ones that we have left. Is Dial M for for Murder on there is on the list, too. So there's four more um, Alfred Hitchcock movies on this list. Yeah. Well, he was. Well, let me ask you that. So let's ask. Let's ask you this, Rodrigo. Why Alfred Hitchcock? Why does he show up on this list more than Steven Spielberg shows up on this list, more than Martin Scorsese shows up on this, more than more than any other director? John Ford. Mm hmm. Uh, he shows up on this list more than anyone else. Well, I think it's because this list has a strong emphasis on technical aspects. Mm. Um, and when it comes to technical aspects, um, Alfred Hitchcock was both a pioneer and great at implementing them. Mm-hmm. So some of these techniques were around before, yeah. but he implements them really well in movies that are worth watching. Yeah. Um, and then some of them were like brand new invented for these movies. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because Hitchcock's career, I mean, this dude was, by the time Psycho comes out in 1960, he had been working in the film industry for like 40 years already. Long, long time. By the time Psycho yeah. hit, that put that into perspective. Mm-hmm. By the time, go back and look at Alfred Hitchcock on the IMDb. By the time that Psycho hit, I think his first film came out in like 1929, yeah. something like that. He'd been working in the industry for 30 years to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I think beyond the technical, I think Alfred Hitchcock learns the craft of what makes a fascinating story. And he's had things from uh, rope to what is it? 29 steps to whatever that he's done all throughout this time where he can say, okay, what is making people tweak this way, what is making what are making right. people lean this way? What gets this reaction from people? And now, when we look at what we consider Alfred Hitchcock's prime, from you know the mid fifties through mid sixties, early fifties to the mid sixties, where he's really hitting his stride with North by Northwest and Rare Window and all this stuff, 
that he's really figured out this is what makes audiences tick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating to just yeah. – and I again, put that into perspective. The man's first film, I believe, came out in 1929, if not sooner. Yeah. I mean – 1923. 1923. Okay, so roughly the same time that talkies came into existence. A little bit before. He's working in some silent stuff here. So from the time of silent film through technorama and surround sound – Alfred Hitchcock was there doing stuff. And that is mind blowing, right? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you think, I mean, and and I think it's only because we're looking at it from our scope of our own being of, I've been alive since this time and I've lived to this time. And I've seen all of this like seconds, but I have seen all of this stuff that has happened in this time. Mm -hmm. But Alfred Hitchcock got to see it all. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's important too. Is like part of the reason why there's so much Hitchcock in the film is not just because he was good at it, but because he was formative. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he was one of the guys who were there when film was young. Right. You know, right. eventually other people may have come up with these things, but he was one of the guys who was in there doing it the whole time, pretty much. You know, and he's pretty and, prolific too. I mean, if you look at the films that he's done, absolutely. Yeah. From 23 to 1978, he's basically doing a film every two to three years, sometimes two and three a year. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just it's and, crazy. And, and furthermore, it's like he exists in a system that is very different from our modern systems. I mean, just for example, well, he how long the, it takes to make a movie. Right. Sure. Well, he not only that, I mean, um, you know, he worked in the British film system for a long time. Before he came to America and started doing films uh, like Psycho. And so he's bringing a lot of what he learned there to mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and then vice versa. So, yeah, Rodrigo, you're absolutely right uh, in that uh, in that stance, in that sense. There is a great new Filmmaker IQ video that was posted. I thought this guy had blown up and gone away because he I think the last one he did was like in March. Yeah. The new one is on sound. Mm hmm. And if you put that in perspective of Hitchcock, he was there from the time sound is entering all the way up to when did Hitchcock die? 1980 something. So he was able to see surround sound fully resolve into THX, Mm -hmm. which is the top end of the audio file before DTS and all that stuff came into it. Mm -hmm. Just being able to sit there and witness that stuff is mind boggling. Oh, sure. Being able to tell my kids someday that I remember when... My computer did, you know, was at a 300 baud was pretty amazing. You remember you as a child did not own a computer. That's right. You as a child did not own a computer. That's going to be mind boggling for your children. I know. Well, and and grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be, well, even for Zach, maybe Mm -hmm. even for you. Did you have a computer as a kid? I did a lot for the majority of my childhood, but it's like it's because my parents were involved in that. My Mm -hmm. parents were like Mm -hmm. computer people from Mm -hmm. from the beginning, but. Yeah, not everybody did. And I mean, I remember when we got the Internet. I mean, you know, the Internet, that's another thing that's going to be mind boggling for your kids. Mm -hmm. The Internet wasn't always around. And you remember a time Mm -hmm. when the Internet wasn't around. And they'll be like, what kind of cowboy hat and poncho did you wear (laughs) when that was happening? (laughs) uh, The kids' grandparents were here a couple of weeks ago uh, during Zach's wedding. 
and I was regaling them with tales of black and white televisions mm. and televisions the size of the, the <laughs> chair that you are sitting in, Rodrigo, yeah. with a oh, little yes. 20-inch screen, and that was the big deal. And, and the kids were like, really, black and white? So you were in black and white when you were a kid? And it's like, it doesn't comprehend. Yeah. Likewise, going back to Alfred Hitchcock, when you look at, Matthew, what's the IMDb say? How many movies does, does Hitchcock have? Well, some of the movies he, that he made are he directed lost, directed sixty nine movies, yeah. sixty nine movies that he directed. Good lord, that's yeah. a lot of movies, and that's he only so lived many. for eighty years. Think about that. Only you eighty. Figure he makes his first movie when he's twenty one. Yeah, that is literally a movie <laughs> and a half a year for the rest of his life. N- sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds amazing. Somebody, I, somebody I just, who clearly loved movies too. Just yeah. from that perspective, couple of things. These these young kids, <laughs> young people who are twenty five mm-hmm. and are like, oh, my career it's never going to go anywhere. It's like I'm twenty five. I'm, I'm my career's almost over. I'm almost ready for retirement. I can't get a break in this industry. First of all, those people shut up. No, but there's a lot of them out there, right? I know, but they need to show. Alfred Hitchcock didn't have Psycho become the huge hit that it was until 30 films in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. It takes time. It takes well, a long you time. Say was his first huge worldwide oh, hit would be maybe Friends. If I were going to look at his at his filmography, um do, 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 do. Maybe Rebecca was Rebecca. Rebecca would probably be one of the early ones. That was when he was 40, 41. Uh, no, no, no. Saboteur, 1942, would have been, I think, the one that a lot of people would recognize as his big as his yeah. big breakthrough. That was the one, if I remember you correctly. you start seeing Lifeboat and Rope and Strangers on a Train and all like that. Yeah. Uh, Saboteur is the one where this guy is in a, in a town and they accuse him of... Uh, being a saboteur. <laughs> it's great. That, but, that's why the song is called. But if you don't, if you go back, God, is saboteur the one that I'm thinking of? I forget. One of these has like Orson Welles and all these people in it. It's like more of a comedy. Um, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. People would know that Rebecca. You probably Rebecca is probably the girl. The lady vanishes, man. The guy's got sabotage 39 steps. There we go. Let's go with 39 steps. That's probably good. Oh, man, the steps. man who knew, knew too much. God dang it. He keeps going back, 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 back. I would say Let's 39 just... Steps is the big one. Alfred Hitchcock was successful since the Did beginning you know? of time. Yeah. He was. Apparently, Hitchcock made the first talkie In England. that came out of Britain. Yeah. This yeah. is interesting because he's not he's not just like he understands the film, but he when these things happen... When these sea changes happen in the industry, Hitchcock is like, I don't know if it's like an instinctual process Mm -hmm. for him. He's Mm -hmm. always there doing these things at the at the forefront of whatever. It's it's because he's doing it right. So uh, if you look at something, let's take podcasting, for example. Sure. Mm -hmm. Podcasting is a relatively new medium. Podcasting still has a lot of um, growth. A growth to do is yeah. it has a lot of its own medium to become. Right. Podcasting borrows a lot from radio, from television, from previous media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there's guys out there who all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, 
my podcast doesn't have to be half an hour, right? And then all of a sudden, yeah. you start seeing podcasts that expand or retract to an average commute, which is a smart yep. idea, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, two hours to six hours, you know, depending mm-hmm. on kind of what they want. But it takes somebody to be like, wait a minute, we don't have to do it this way to do it. And when when films, you know, when you transition from silent films to talkies, you have people, you have people that are visionaries, which, you know, often what it takes to be a visionary is to have that ability to forget what what the strictures are, sure. what yeah. the language already is and kind of invent your new language as you go. And Alfred Hitchcock is one of those people. He's yeah. one of those people who say we don't have to be bound by the traditional narrative mm-hmm. as it exists now. We don't have to be bound by a a card in front of the movie that tells you exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's actually more exciting if you don't know what's going to happen. I will, yeah. over at the Major Spoilers website, I will embed that filmmaker IQ piece. It's about 30 minutes long okay. where he goes through the history of talkies and he doesn't hit all the points that I think. He, he could really have gone on for about two hours sure. just yeah. on the history of sound. And the business of it, especially in Hollywood. But it's it's fascinating to look at it. But what you said a moment ago, Rodrigo, about um, story structure and mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. and going back to what I had mentioned before about Hitchcock at this point in his life has kind of clicked in what works with people. Yeah, 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 yeah. What makes Psycho, Matthew, what makes Psycho such a resonating film that when – most people say Alfred, when you say Alfred Hitchcock, most people would instantly say Psycho, as opposed well, to Birds or Rear Window or North by Northwest or yeah. some of that other stuff. Mo- nine, I would bet ninety percent of the people, if they knew who Alfred Hitchcock was, number one, <laughs> would say, "What is name one Alfred Hitchcock film?" They'd instantly say Psycho. Why? Yeah, I think, and it, it, to to digress for just a moment beforehand, there is a a relatively popular although somewhat discredited filmmaker who floats around hollywood right now his name is ma knight Shyamalan, whose gimmick is all of his movies have a big surprise at the end psycho is a movie that almost but not quite hits that sort of trick movie thing where there there are there's not one oh, but no, two it, yeah big there's surprises. two yeah, yeah, yeah two mm-hmm. twists so it, it's not a movie that's a twist movie, but it's a really easy one to remember. There, uh, the story itself, if you've ever read the original story, is really terrifying in and of itself. Hitchcock took a really strong piece of writing, and then he put it on the screen and completely, I, I don't want to say undermined, but all of your expectations going into this movie are shot down quickly. Because you meet this character, and she seems to be one thing, but she's not. And she seems to be doing something, but she's not. And then the thing happens where that first big twist comes up, and it turns out, holy crap, this isn't even a movie about her at all. Yeah, it's, what, a third of the way through it, and and, uh, Janet Lee is killed. Yeah, this is one of those movies that is the equivalent of a really good, entertaining monologue by somebody where you don't realize that you keep getting redirected. You don't realize throughout this movie that it keeps not being what you think it is. And then you get to the end and it's still not what you think it is when you didn't think what you thought Mm -hmm. it was at the Mm -hmm. beginning. I mean, this is a movie that really subverts, even if you go in as somebody, A, who, you know, has studied movie theory beforehand, knows the movie's ending, because the first time I saw it, I knew how it ended. Mm -hmm. I had already, I already knew the twisty twist. But as you go into this movie, it's still 
surprises you. It's it it's the equivalent of that weird guy who's somehow also likable. And everything that Hitchcock has done with this film has made it so structurally unstoppable. I mean, it's that's not the word I'm looking for. No, but I mean... It's watertight. Just... It's structurally watertight to where no matter what he does, you go, oh, oh, it's that, that surprise that is such a good surprise. And yeah, I think you... Think of, I think you got to it when you said there's a twist. There's two twists. Janet yeah. Lee dies a third of the way through. That's the famous shower scene. Yep. And then you have the whole thing of it's not Norman's mother. It's Norman. Right. And the mom is decaying in the basement. Ah! You know, you're right. Those are two big twists that audiences don't expect to happen because part of the agreement that you have with as a filmmaker with your audience is they're going to go in with an expectation. Yep. You're going in to share a story with them. So even though you're not present for that movie, there is an unspoken dialogue and exchange that you come in with me. I'm going to b- embrace my arms around you and I'm going to tell you a story mm-hmm. and right. it might be a scary story. It might mm-hmm. be a fun story. It might be a musical, it might be whatever, but you're going to kind of know how this story flows. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock invites people in to see psycho has them say here, please sit down and then yeah. yanks the chair out from under them as they're yep. right. about to sit. It's, you know, I think, I think in that analogy, it's like when you pick up, like when you're playing with, yes, like a little baby uh, child, uh, 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 your your son or little brother or cousin or whatever, and you're like doing something and telling something, and then you like drop your arms, yeah. and they don't know, they think they're gonna fall forever right. and die, right? right? And then, but then you catch them, <laughs> and it's the most exciting thing that's ever mm-hmm. happened to them. Yeah, and they yeah. just laugh and laugh, right? Or just peekaboo. That's, peekaboo that's, is the yeah, same sure. way. That's what Alfred Hitchcock is doing to us. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'm gonna tell you this story. Like, bam! It's like, oh. Oh, wait, the movie's still going. What's going to happen now? Right. I think there's two ways that two things that are separate that make movies enjoyable. One of them is that fulfillment of that expectation. And another is the surprise from when those expectations are changed. Um, There's a, a safe way to make a movie, which is to just follow the formula, give people exactly what they expect, and they'll come out. The majority of people will come out relatively pleased that uh bruce willis shot everyone right or that uh jennifer aniston and whoever she's up against got together at the end Mm -hmm. perfectly fine and then there's the other way of doing movies um as an extreme example probably like your quentin tarantino's where literally you can't tell what the structure of the movie is Mm -hmm. you don't know what the next thing is that's going to happen right that's a lot riskier um you stand to alienate a lot more people but when it's effective it's that much more of a payoff because it's that much bigger of a risk. Right. It's like but the I, David Lynch. But, it, it, but, it, but the thing is, sure. people going into seeing Psycho at this time already know that they're going in to watch a thriller of some kind or something mm-hmm, that's suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And suspenseful is something that Hitchcock has done mm-hmm. basically throughout. Look at right. like, like what I mentioned a moment ago with The Man Who Knew Too Much. It's about people who find out that there's a kidnapping plot. Uh, and then the kidnappers kidnap the daughter and say, if you say anything, we're going to kill your daughter. And what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. So people are already going in knowing this. But when you kill a major well-known character and star mm-hmm. in the first 30 minutes or whatever it is, and then the rest of the time you're supposed to follow this guy and the people trying to investigate her disappearance, that is a mind F to your audience. Yeah. It yeah. really is. And the only and you're right when you mention M. Night, when you look at the sixth sense, 
That's exactly what he's doing. Sure. He screws with your mind and, and, and says, ha, ha, ha. And, and the, the, it's the really reason, modern times. The reason why this, it's, a, it's the lady in the devil elevator. The reason right. why um, The Sixth Sense was successful and no other M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> movie was successful is because people weren't expecting it. Right. Mm-hmm. But right. after that, everybody's just sitting there waiting for the twist. And it's just sure. never as satisfying because also The Sixth Sense has probably the best twist yeah. out of yeah. any but, M. Night Shyamalan yeah, movie. Right. But what I think but also, is oh, go ahead. I like Lady in the special Lake. about Psycho, from what I read mm-hmm. about it, is that he did the twist, the double twists, but also the way Hitchcock did the marketing for this film, mm-hmm. It's he like let people into this secret club, mm-hmm. almost. It's like... Don't tell anyone right. what happens mm-hmm. right. because you don't want to ruin anything. And he did a, a lot of marketing that went There's, into this film to keep the thing secret right. and to make sure people saw the movie the way they were saw see, they should see it mm-hmm. and not the way the normal people were seeing it at the time with the newsreels and stuff before coming in halfway right. and seeing uh, twists before they should have. Right. And so he... So it's not like the modern... Modern day culture now is... Too savvy. No... Um, too it's, connected. It's, yeah, we like our spoilers and we yeah, want them yeah. now. What? So there were our website yeah, that yeah. talked about spoilers. Yeah. So, but not the little spoilers. The, the major way spoilers. Hitchcock really marketed this film was making like a kind of like club. Yeah. Of, you know what's going to happen yeah. in Psycho. Yeah, you don't want to tell anyone. P.T. Barnum right. Carney trick, right? Where you tell everybody to come see the. Mm-hmm. The house, the, the mystery shack in Gravity Falls. This way, people look at the crazy horse and now look at the crazy duck. Mm-hmm. Now this way to the egress and look at the look at the conjoined twins and this way to the egress. Everybody, you don't want to miss the egress. Move along, move along, move along. And then people go, oh, the egress is this way. Let's hurry up. Let's hurry up and get to the egress. Forget the forget the talking dog. Let's get to the egress. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. The egress is just an exit. And then the right. Carney or P.T. Barnum. Winking at them and saying, well, now you could get really mad and go tell everybody else that you just you know, spend a nickel to see, uh, to get to the egress, or we could keep it all a secret to ourselves Mm -hmm. and let the other person be fooled too. And what fun is that going to be when everybody gets fooled? And you're right. That is Mm -hmm. a good marketing kind of gimmick. And it's the power thing. I mean, Zach nailed it. When you talk about, I don't think that today's audience are necessarily more savvy, but I think that today's audiences have a different expectation. And when you, let's say you have a secret you know that it was his sled and your friend says, I'm going to go see this movie. And you go, Oh man, it's the sled. You have that power. Hitchcock knew that he undermined that with this and bear in mind, this is what three or four years into the run of his weekly television program, Mm -hmm. which is all about twist endings, which in theory could have Shyamalan him, but didn't because of the way the film. Uh, it yes, is. Yeah. Okay. It's Shamaland is where you get hung by your own metaphorical petard. Yeah. Whatever your shtick is, your shtick turns on you. Uh, Rodrigo is killed by being smart and thoughtful. Zach is killed <laughs> by being young and cute. I'm killed by being cynical and fat. Oh, Stephen is killed be by hamburger. being less fat but infinitely more cynical. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen is killed by jaguars, but <laughs> I, that's why I work down in the basement because they can't jump exactly. out of trees and get me. That's right, jaguars, and there aren't any jaguars trees can't you... walk down steps. That's Loaded a myth. Bears. It's like oh, is it? dogs can't look up. <laughs> they say the jaguars, jaguars can't, can't walk, walk down stairs. No, they can. Dogs can't look up. They, 
What? They That's ridiculous. The stairs. They completely just they come down anyway. the stairs at a, at a but, but yes. And when you look at first of all, not just what this film shows you. Not just what it puts together and goes, here's the story, and here's the story, and here's Martin Balsam, and here's the thing, and here's this terrifying ending. And I will, I will grant you that the ending may hammer the point home a little too hard for me. Maybe it, it may just be a new thing in this latest uh, viewing where they're kind of like, no, no, and perhaps Norman never existed anymore. Mm-hmm. But sure. Ebert, the way Ebert this, says that. He said he would have re-edited the ending yeah. to cut out The way this stuff. film is put together, and I think this is part of the reason why we remember Hitchcock, is this is a film that is really beautifully assembled. So even if the story was crap and didn't work, I think people would still look at this as a notable film just in the way it's shot and the way it's edited. Well, so there's something else going on in this movie, which I find fascinating, too. And I I, sorry, I didn't do the research on this like I should have. But I find it fascinating that this movie, it doesn't glorify the serial killer or the psychopath. And it kind of does just in the name itself. Mm -hmm. But when we look at uh, movies today like Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs and and um, uh, lack of you could even go check Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of stuff. I think it goes back to I mean Psycho to a point. I mean oh, we sure, could go back you sure, could go back further absolutely. to M and you look at the the mm. Child Killer and we've looked at that m- movie here. But I think when you look at Psycho, it turns the audience's ah. expectation to oh my God, look how insane crazy the psychopath is i want to see more stories about psychopaths absolutely you know the 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 psychopath is the murderous psychopath is that hidden monster right right they look just like everyone else as long as they're white um (laughs) and (laughs) well most serial killers are yeah white males yeah so um is they look just like everyone else but they have a secret and it's like, I mean, it's like like they're mutants, like they're something else, but you can't tell who's a serial killer, right? Mm. So that idea is hugely interesting. That and as more and more um, uh, research was done into people who have that kind of dissociative thing mm-hmm. about empathy and stuff, you know, psychopaths, sociopaths, not not that they're not that they're the same thing. But as much research has been done, you start seeing patterns. Right. And these patterns are really unique to each individual person. Mm -hmm. So it makes them rock stars. It makes them quirky. It makes Mm -hmm. them interesting. It makes them, um, you know, studyable. Right. And even, you know, if you look at the MO of Norman... Like, that's something that's really complex and thorough, mm-hmm. right? It's like mom issues turns into the mom kills people, doesn't remember stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what people get out of serial killers. They're like, um, I don't know, it's like it's like old school magic stuff, right? Where there were rules that kept you from being eaten by monsters. Mm-hmm. It's like serial killers follow their own weird rules. And follow a pattern. I mean, yep. you look at what's the uh, what's the HBO series or the Showtime series, uh, Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, same way, you're following somebody right. who's a psychopath that has a very set 
amount of rules that right. his father instilled upon him, his stepfather instilled upon him because he knew that this kid was crazy. Well, and that, well, if, he could, that yeah. if he could use him for good, then it would keep him from being a true monster. Right. Um, you know, you can look at uh, what there was another series that I was thinking of um, that kind of explored the same thing. But I think Red Dragon and um, Silence of the Lambs with uh, yeah. what's his name? The the killer in the Silence of the Hannah Lambs. Uh, no, not Lecter. No, no, no. Uh, oh, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Bill. Yeah. Uh, that he follows his own set of specific. Yeah rules that he has to do and it's and even if you look at john wayne gacy and you you look at the the real life serial killers it's Mm -hmm. crazy and the original story scary scary and crazy inspired and certainly inspired is the word by ed gein Mm. who is the the same character who inspired the texas chainsaw massacre which should be on the list by the way but yeah it's it's kind of like a superhero in a weird way you don't know if the person next to you is Superman or if he's Norman Bates. Sure. Mm-hmm. 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 And I read, I call it on the same lines. I, re- I was reading, I'm trying to refresh my memory on Psycho today since it's been so long. So we actually uh, should have watched a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Well, we gone. should have talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but you were sick. I was you had sick, a wedding then and then you had to go on a honeymoon yeah, 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 yeah. and blah, 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. My so name's Zach and I had to get married. I was, and my uh, life is better than all yours. Doing a lot of reading about it. And one uh, article that I really found interesting was talking about how Alfred Hitchcock used our own personal fears against us in the movie. Uh, Fear of failing your mother, fear of Mm -hmm. the police, fear of you have something inside of you that you can't control, Yeah, which I found really interesting. And upon reflection, it was like, totally, because especially the, the police officer, how... That character is used to paranoy. Uh, mm-hmm. What's her name in the beginning? Um, uh, some Janet Lee's character. Yeah, Janet yeah. Lee's character. Uh, and just the visuals they Marian. use that they, they get right up in his face when he gets right in her window. And that's like fills up the whole screen. Or mm-hmm. he's across the street, his arms folded, just like staring at you behind those glasses. You don't even know mm-hmm. if he's looking at you, but you just assume he is because the police are obviously out to get you. Do you think? And again, maybe this is a question we can talk when we're closer to the end of Zach on film, once we've seen all these other Hitchcock movies, you think Hitchcock figured out what the pattern was and just started to repeat that pattern. Cause think- if we look at vertigo, if we look at rear window, if we look at psycho, if we look at North by North when North by Northwest, maybe not so much cause it followed more into the pre psycho kind of trope, but he seemed to say, okay, what are people's phobias? Sure. What are people mm-hmm. really scared of? And now how can I play upon that and make sure that every frame is filled with something that is going to make the audience super, super tense? I think I think Hitchcock was an artist mm-hmm. um, and he was a commercial artist. You know, he knew what worked, but also his movies are rich. His movies are innovative. He's he's not just saying, OK, what are what else are people afraid of? Lizards. Let's right. make a movie about yeah. lizards, right? It's not just that. It's like in Psycho, they could have just made a movie about a serial killer. Like M. In M, you there's a point where you just start following the serial killer, right? Yeah. That becomes less exciting. You start kind of weirdly empathizing with yes. the serial killer. And at the end of the movie, you do empathize. Yeah, with at the end of the movie, he's basically the protagonist, mm-hmm. right? And he could have done that. Yeah, he could have said, "Who's the most important character? Let's follow the serial killer," but he didn't. 
you know, in uh, Vertigo. Um, Which came out before Psycho. Right. So maybe Psycho is the culmination of all of Sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in Vertigo, there were there was a more straight way to play that, but the whole point is that mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that, yeah, he starts figuring out this pattern, but also he doesn't want to be bored by it. it. It seems to me there's a lot of like fun. <laughs> like there's like some weird Alfred Hitchcocky whimsy to his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can tell that he's kind of in like it laughing, enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. Enjoying it. Just putting weird characters in, like having a conversation between two characters that doesn't matter. Yeah. But they're there and they're, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. What, what makes Hitchcock's characters in this movie feel so full and fully developed? Because you don't, you don't walk away from this going, well, this character's storyline was not developed in this way or it's missing these development points. Mm-hmm. These characters feel super fleshed out. These characters yeah. feel like people that you do know. Um, you empathize with them very well. And you do it a lot more than... I think honestly than you do when you see um um what's his name in Vertigo? Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, yeah. In in Vertigo or even Jimmy Stewart in <laughs> Rear Window. Uh they well, Rear Window still I think maybe a better movie but you you watch a movie like Psycho and you're like these are real people. Mm. Yeah. Maybe mm. uh I mean just cuz that's I'm falling back on the same article I just referenced. Um, instead of developing super backstory filled characters, mm-hmm. using the same traits that used to heighten our tension in the film, he's also using those are also found in the characters as uh, um, um, bait, uh, little Norman Bates's like little ticks and stuff. It's not. Right. It's little yeah. personality traits it's, inside the characters that we fill with our own personal memories of. That's right. People. It's cues, yeah, right? Cues, so cues, cues. you you see these two people, and they don't say, "Well, since we just had sex in this hotel room, we should." Yeah. You know, it's like from the yeah. very beginning, you're dropped into the situation, and you're already making those connections. You're like, mm-hmm. "Those two just had sex in a hotel right. room, right?" Mm-hmm. And they're not married. Oh no! Yeah. And then it's oh, like blah, 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 blah. your own brain is filling in all mm-hmm. these details, like. Violence that happens on off screen, right? And yeah. you fill in, and it's like so much more intense and crazy when your own brain does the work for Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with these characters, right? All he has to do is drop this hint, this hint, and this hint, and you doing the work for him makes it so much more satisfying, right? Yes, it makes it personal. And I think to some degree, I, I've been reading a lot lately about people talking about how. Really good comedians are generally people who have a great sadness in their core. Mm-hmm. And I think that from what you read about Hitchcock, people say he was kind of a jerk <laughs> in life. He was, yeah. he, was, he was kind of schmucky. And I think that part of that comes from – it's that same sort of dichotomy. Hitchcock knows character because he spends his time – kind of being a jerk and poking at people to see yeah, how they respond sure. and being, you know, kind of being awful. 
and really getting to the core of what people are honestly going to be like. And to some degree, I, I think that that has to, that has to be something you take into, especially in this film, but you have to take that into consideration. I think part of the reason that he knows humanity so well is because he kind of stands aside and goes, all right, now I'm going to hit you in the face with this rock. Tell me how you feel. That's my Alfred Hitchcock, by the way. Uh, I have something to add to that. Okay. Let's uh, give a little shout-out really quick. Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by Major Spoilers VIP members around the world. Thank you for your support of Majorspoilers.com and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you'd like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com and sign up today. Thank you in advance. Yeah, thank you for your support. Yes. You were talking about filling in the gaps. Yep. You know, we don't have to see people having sex. We know mm-hmm. that they had sex. Right, right. Yes. It's clear. It's it's funny, though. The That's most what? famous scene, one of the most famous scenes in film history has to be the shower scene. Sure. Where yeah. she's being stabbed repeatedly. Took them seven days, 78 different setups to get this uh, to get this shot correctly. Just right. Yeah. They had to make sure that the uh, pasties weren't going to fall off. Right. Uh, so they didn't violate any... Uh, Haze any code. standards, any, any haze pasty codes. laws, any pasty this laws. This is post haze code, though, isn't it? I don't remember, but uh, it was definitely kind of there, there was a, a ratings. There was a ratings yeah. board in place at this time because when he took this uh, movie to be shown, mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh no, there's there's definitely some naked body bits that we can see on the screen. You're gonna have to go back and re-edit." And the way the story goes, I don't know if it's true or not. Right. Um, but uh, Hitchcock said, "Okay, I'll go back and re-edit this so everybody's happy," and he went back and did nothing to that. Mm-hmm stabbing in the shower sequence took it back about a month or two later and they're like oh yeah this is fine yep. no problem <laughs> and from other stories i've read he obviously was pretty savvy with the board because when he submitted the f- script originally before they started making it mm-hmm. he added parts in there that were more risque and sexual than what he wanted to keep mm. so they would focus on that they yeah, said yeah. There was influence or inferences to Norman's sexual relations with his mother with his mom, yeah. that he put in there, knowing they would take it out, right? So he could get other stuff under the radar from him. Well, you know, they say I've done this before, and it works <laughs> really, really well. That when you're working with a client, mm-hmm. that or a boss, that you intentionally make some big glaring mistakes. So that yes. the boss or the president of your university can come in and go, <laughs> oh, you people are idiots. You didn't see this big thing right here. <laughs> I'm so mm-hmm. brilliant because I'm going to come in and fix this. That's why I'm the boss. Yeah. And, that, then, that and, then, secretly, and then he you, secretly no, totally no. misses all the stuff that you wanted to keep in mm-hmm. anyway. And it becomes a non-issue because everyone but that person knows that you're intentionally putting this mistake in so that the yes. person in charge feels like they have become involved i'm not saying i was taught to do that by certain people i work with <laughs> but no that i mean but that I is an example that. of have you done that at work upwards yeah, yeah i yeah. used to do that all the I time do that all, I, did, I did that all the time all yes. the time yeah it's legit yeah and it, and it works um and so yeah that's that's a good way of mm-hmm. of knowing people studying people and i don't think that hitchcock would be i don't think hitchcock would be hitchcock if he spent all day in his room watching the internet and talking on internet boards right sure i think what makes hitchcock hitchcock is the fact that he was out and understood people and interacted with people 
and he knew what made people work. Right. And even though it may be creepy, we don't really have a good mall here to do this, but hmm. people, people watching, watching at the mall, I think, is a valid way to see how people interact. And if sure. you don't know mm-hmm. how, if you don't know how a new young married couple acts mm-hmm. and you're writing a movie about this new young yep. married couple, by God, you better go expose yourself to well, don't expose yourself to new married couples, right. but you better yes, find out where people in love are at and watch them. Right. Yep, if you want to see how teenagers act and you're 44, yeah. well, yeah, you better and, go and, where and the teenagers are. Yeah. You, you, you get that, right. You get uh 44 year olds writing teenagers and it's like, hey, cool man. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the tubular today? Oh, you want to know How's how it weird bringing? So check this out. Again, I, it was probably another podcast, probably Nerdist, because they have some really great interviews. If you guys haven't listened to the Nerdist podcast, you really should. They were doing one of the writers' interviews, and it was somebody who had worked on like High School Musical, mm-hmm. and they were working on like the third year of the High School Musical, mm-hmm. and they're like, we have no idea what kids are into. Is the Zach, is the third high school musical the one where they go to prom? I don't know. Oh, I thought maybe you did. No. Um, he was, too, he was yeah. too young for a high school musical. I have no idea. Um, but one of the writers had a daughter who was getting ready to have their prom. And they're like, oh, let's call her up, get her on the phone. And so they're talking with her on the phone. And they're like, we want to know what the big thing is for prom this year so that we can write so that we can write this. So we know what you kids are into. And the the niece or the daughter or whoever was just like, um, we're kind of waiting for the high school musical to come out because that's how we're going to theme our prom. Oh, nice. And uh. it was real funny. It's like, here are these 45-year-olds that are writing and influencing what the young kids are doing. And I, th- I th- that's what Hitchcock is doing. He's influencing these younger filmmakers because he understands how people think and how they work. And he's Mm -hmm. able to observe that human nature and translate that human nature into a movie like psycho. Now, I don't know. Did you do some research on beyond just him translating a book? um, Adapting the book. Did he go and talk with psycho killers? Uh, Nothing I know of. I know he sent people to buy all the copies of the book out of the bookstores. No one could read it. Oh, so they weren't spoiled ahead of time. Ah, That's clever. That's all I know. That's clever. But you're going to have, you're going to have to do research, Zach. Oh yeah. Write what you know, write what you own, right? Yeah. Did you guys uh, study but, did you guys study psycho? Oh, go finish your I uh, I was gonna say, you know, eventually you're gonna your own writing is gonna take you out of your wheelhouse, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um probably because you have to write exciting things and if you're a writer like me, you're you know, it's like not that many exciting things have happened to you, so it's like eventually you're gonna have to do some amount of research. You have to do a lot of research. I, I find that fascinating when you look at H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and you look at Robert E. Howard, how here's a guy up in New England writing about all these different cities around the world. And you're looking at this guy in West Texas who's writing these fantastical tales of adventure. And these guys were doing research. They were going to their library. They were I mean, contacting you, you different at, people and finding out what are what are things like in this position. You look at these places. You look at a company like Disney. You know, they have a long tradition of being like, we want to do a movie about that takes place in South America. Let's send everybody to yeah, South yeah. America. Mm-hmm. And they just send their people down to like absorb at least at the very least the look of the area. That that was also part of a goodwill tour that the U S government set up. To, yeah. Back in those days. Yeah. To set it up so that, um, so that they wouldn't Latin join the Ameri- Germans. Yeah, so they wouldn't join the Germans. Yeah. So essentially they just sent Disney and a bunch of his animators down to yeah. South America. I mean, that's that's what said, the Three Caballeros is. There's a whole series. Uh, three Saludos Amigos. Saludos Amigos. Saludos Amigos. Uh, yeah, that's what that's all 
based on was that result. But yeah, they, they research it. I mean, even if you look at Bambi, if you want to look at it from that point, they go and they study they real animals. To, they yeah. they deer. shot deer. They <laughs> shot like 35 deer. They're like, wait, wait, wait. I, I still don't see how it fell. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead and shoot another deer. A lot of poaching. Make Did, uh, poaching. Watching Psycho now, I mean, we've really kind of just danced around a lot of the, this movie, which is fine because I think there's some bigger themes that are going on. Yeah. Doctor Who always talks about these fixed points in history. I think Psycho right. is one of those films that is just like this fixed point, which everything else kind of orbits around. Interesting. I mean, it's a very important and influential film. Knowing, did you know what Norman's deal was before you watched this movie? Uh, interesting. With so, let me say this: without having watched the new TV show Bates Motel, that's where the interesting part comes in. I knew one thing about Psycho, which was shower, the shower, shower scene. scene. Okay, only thing I knew about Psycho. I start watching Psycho, and it gets to about thirty twenty five minutes in. They get to the Bates Motel. I go. Isn't there a show on like AMC or something that's Bates Motel? And sure enough, I get on my IMDb. I'm like, oh, Norman Bates, Aubrey, my now wife, uh, loves that show. I'm going <laughs> to pause this. It's fun to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pause this. I'm going to watch it together because she likes it. Yeah, yeah. So we're going along. We're going along. All these murders are happening. And she goes, you know, I wonder if that's Norman doing the murders because in the show... He gets really mad and just forgets what he's doing sometimes. And I go, yep, that's how it ended. Of course, she fell asleep and also did not watch the end because <laughs> I go, because they you know, the, 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 the start going down to the basement. Oh, she didn't fall yeah. asleep. She just stopped watching. They're going down to the basement. The music, the the music starts building and you know that like a big jump scare or something's yeah, going to come. Yeah. So she's just covering her eyes. And then Norman... They do like a quick cut to Norman right, dressed right. as mom, yeah, right yeah. which I the think is one of the forth. scariest images I yeah. have ever seen in my entire life. I yell. She doesn't get to see it. But yeah, no, no so she's kind of spoiled for me, but that was cool. In the Bates Motel, Norman's not murdering people? Uh, not that I know. I mean, I think she's only watched season one. Okay. There is I've, a, not so watched, there is a I've not watched the second season, yeah. I believe. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting Mainly because I don't know if because it would really I, suck. There's something about Norman's mom possibly killing like a stepdad or something, oh, okay. or someone that is close to Norman dies, mm-hmm. and she sounded like it was the mom that did it. Of course, knowing this, who knows? I, I just it would be very sad if the TV show, which is a prequel to this movie, yes. ends up ruining the movie. And it's it, almost like Star Wars Episode One, where you actually watch Anakin Skywalker. Uh, does the it, does the show though take place in the sixties? Uh, it takes place when Norman is a young, like yeah, but twelve, thirteen it, years I, old. I mean, if if the if the show isn't trans, like if the show isn't supposed to be a prequel, then it doesn't matter. Right, if it takes place, if it takes place in modern times, yeah. like it already doesn't fit. Oh, I don't think it takes place in modern oh, times, does it? I, I, I honestly haven't watched a single episode. By uh, the way, um, they uh, in Universal Studios, yes, they used to have the Bates Motel. Yes. Uh-huh. They've now either moved it or changed it, and now they have a Curious George like little amusement <laughs> thing. <laughs> Freaks me out, man. Uh, the series. Is a contemporary prequel yeah. 
to yeah. the sixties psycho. Yeah. So, so it takes I mean, place in the present. Yes. But it's it a prequel. Has to be the past of a movie that so there's going to be time travel involved. I'm in on board on this movie now. It's he travels it's, uh, back to the past. I mean, it's kills his mother. Sure. It's Casino Royale, right? Yeah, it's, right. it's the first Bond movie, but also the last Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah don't when they throw time travel into stupid places, it'll ruin something like you know paranormal activity. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so we're kind of way off the rails this week. What do you, what do you That's get funny. out of this, Zach? Um, uh, I mean. Uh, I I thought the double twist thing was fantastic, I and mean, we talked about. Are you going to start using double? You're going to start using twists in all of your projects. Well, no, that'd be very hard to do when a like you're doing a water uh, conservation piece, and the water constantly drips, and or, it's like, are you wasting water? And then you cut to a dead body on the floor, and yeah. it's really. I mean, that's something that your you audience know, wouldn't expect. Here's, here's the sure, thing, though: sure. you can you can yeah. use a twist, yeah. even in documentary stuff, yeah. Where catfish, ah uh, yes, yeah, or something where you are like, ha ha ha! Look at these terrible things that these people are doing, and then you like bring it around to try to like basically you trick, like you you trick the right into watching your leftist documentary right, right, right. or vice versa, <laughs> right, 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 right. right? By by promoting it and showing things that they agree with. And then showing them how they are wrong, right. at least in your, sure. you know, sure, sure, sure. view. But what are your um, thoughts on the twist? Well, I think the the first twist is the more interesting twist because we've already spent thirty minutes establishing our central focus character uh, as lady whose name I can't remember, Marion, Marion, uh, and then we change it by gender by age by like mental stability mm-hmm. we just completely change characters in a drastic way by brutally murdering our first character stuffing her in a trunk yeah. and pushing the car into the bottom of a pond i mean that was huge and you got the audience on the side of the murderer because you think he's trying to like help his mother yep. cover up a murder, and the, the, one of the weird parts I thought it was weirdly kind of funny was he, he puts Mary in the trunk, pushes the car into the pond, and it's a really long shot of it just like sinking into the lake, yeah, yeah. and then it kind of just sits there. I'm like, car's not gonna sink, that <laughs> idiot, and then it drops. There's, it there's like. This happens. This also happens in um, uh, Strangers on a Train, yeah. right. right? Where a big part of the suspense at the end is: is the murderer going to be able to incriminate the main character? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh no! The what is? Is it a ring? No, it's the, the glasses. The, the no, no, no. It's the uh, oh, the lighter. Yeah, the lighter. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like oh no, the lighter fell on the grate. Wait a minute. Why am I worried about this? <laughs> if the lighter falls on the grid, that's a good thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. no, he got it back. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what else? What else do you get from this? Uh, I really found the what Hitchcock did around the film to market it, to bring people in, really fascinating. Because you read like what he did where he made movie theaters stop people from walking in. 
because yep. they talk about they usually have newsreels, like a right. short film before the, the movie. People would walk in with, after the movie started and just right. sit for the whole thing and get back to the, like, watch the first 15 minutes they missed. Yeah. But he made movie theaters say, no, you have to go in when the movie starts and you have to watch it completely through, which then they said created lines. Mm hmm. Which made people more interested in the movie because there's all these people lined up to see a film when they normally wouldn't have been. They would have been in there watching it probably right after Marion died or something. Mm -hmm. Things like that. How uh, Hitchcock actually sat in the mother's chair and posed his pictures to make it seem like the mother was actually a character Uh in the film. Uh He told reporters that it was a story about a boy with like a murderous mother. Um, They all took advertise or picture promo pictures where they're looking at this empty mother's chair. I just thought the way they portrayed the film and how they did it on such a small budget. Is that misleading? Is that misleading the audience? Just some uh, well, the yeah, whole that's... film is misleading the audience. So why not mislead them in the marketing? I think I, it's the I equivalent guess... of lying to a child about the existence of certain creatures who come and take away their teeth in the night. It's the kind of misleading. Jaguars. <laughs> yes, jaguars. It's the kind of misleading that works, and it kind of goes back to that thing of Hitch has I don't know, a little I just, bit of jerk in him. Maybe not. Maybe not so much with Psycho, but I know that when that second Star Trek movie was coming out, and everyone True. was like, "Oh, this is Wrath of Khan. This is a remake mm-hmm. of Wrath of Khan." And J.J. Abrams is like. No, this isn't. This isn't a remake that, of Wrath. I don't know what your Wrath of Khan is. That a is that a comic convention that, thing? That is a. Good and then it ex- turned out to be exactly Wrath of Khan. That, that is Spoiler a good. E- that is a good example of a failed attempt yeah. to do mm-hmm. this. Right. Now there are there are successful attempts where, like Psycho, where you can mislead the audience, and then they go in, and they're like, "That was great." Yeah. yeah. It's like he lied to me, but that's okay because that was great. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can also get into problems. Um, nowadays, uh, promotional campaigns consistently mislead the audience oh, um, yeah. just because they're like, okay, so here's this movie, um, Gardens of the Galaxy just came out, laugh riot, laugh every five seconds, yeah. it's like action, action, laugh, 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 action, action, laugh, right? It's really action, laugh, laugh, and then action. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a few jokes in it. Right. But it wasn't the laugh ride I right. was expecting. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember watching uh, the trailer for Lilo and Stitch, which, you know, Lilo and Stitch is a super weird movie. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Like, they yes. can't approximate it in the trailer, so they just put literally all the jokes in the movie in the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's all that trailer was, mm-hmm. right? Not the story, not the heartfelt story about this little broken family that's trying to stay together, which is right. what Lilo yeah, and Stitch yeah. is. Right. Right. Um, just jokes, jokes, jokes. Oh, look. Stitch puts his claw on the thing and he plays Elvis out of his mouth. (laughs) That little guy's hilarious. I think there's something also to be said. The difference between what um, J.J. Abrams did and what Hitchcock did, Hitchcock went to great effort to try and keep it from there ever needing to be a question to Mm -hmm, ask. mm -hmm. Hitchcock did what Rodrigo does. When he misleads us all and pushes us back in Critical Hit, another podcast in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network, he made it so there was no reason to ask, is there a mystery about Mrs. Bates? Whereas um, when you're talking about, when J.J. Abrams was talking about Cucumber Dick Bendy Batch or whatever his name is being con, he, in, he 
flat out lied to the direct question. Well, yes, it is. And yeah, I, is Benedict we'll Cumberbatch the? Is, is he does he play Khan? No, he's not. No, no he plays that, a guy named John. That, yeah. Now, had John. that movie been made and people were like, "Oh, what's this story about?" and he was like, "Well, it's about this guy and he has this thing and he does this thing," people started asking questions immediately. Whereas Hitchcock didn't do all of this to try and trick people. He did this so that people would not ask the question that might unravel the enjoyment of the big twist. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yes, it's still misleading the audience and it's still a little bit of less than honesty, but uh, the way that it was done was masterful enough that people didn't necessarily ask why there might be an issue there. And I think that's, that's an important point to make. That's the, the difference in how people accept it. I, I, again, I think, I, I think it's a difference on proper execution yeah. versus mm -hmm. like Alfred Hitchcock went in and did all of his homework. Right. Right. Up, yep. up front. They're like, okay, what happens if somebody reads the book? I'm going to buy all the books. Yeah. What happens when somebody asks me, what's this movie about? I'm going to tell them this thing that leads them down the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm really happy that not, Matthew pointed that out about my games because when when uh, Zach was describing that, I was like, "Yeah, that's totally what I do for my games. <laughs> I just like outright lie to the players so that they won't even suspect that something's coming to kill them." But you you do it in no, I, in th through the voices of the characters. Yeah, and I, I and and that's the thing is like when you have it's like it's a matter of scope, right? It's like somebody came to J.J. Abrams who was making the Star Trek remake and said, is this Wrath of Khan? And he couldn't, like, there was no opportunity for him to gracefully yeah. lie about it. So he just had to outright to your face lie. Yeah, sure. When you're coming in and you have control over everything um, that is going out, then you can be like, you can make it so that mm -hmm. those questions don't even get asked. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the mm -hmm. proper answer should have been. We haven't even seen the eugenics war in this Star Trek yet. No. No. That would... No. Yeah, because then how would you have a Wrath of Khan if you didn't have the eugenics war? We haven't even seen Space Seed Hon in honestly, that universe too, yet. That's too specific a denial. That's like when you is come this, home... Is this a remake says, of Wrath of Khan? Dad, I didn't set everything on fire. That, the, right, the right move would have been to actual... And we've talked about this before... Um, Probably in another podcast. Hello, if you only listen to Zach on film, this happens a lot. Yes. Um, the right answer would have been not to have Khan. Yes. Because there were, what, 12 other pods? It's yes. like, if if in this weird Star Trek universe... By the way, spoilers of uh, Into Darkness. In this weird uh, <laughs> Star Trek universe that is now different, mm -hmm. where things are now happening differently... They had thought out pod number two instead of pod number one. You could have because we don't in well, in uh, the, you know his in name Wrath isn't of Khan. You don't meet any of his other peeps, right? You meet or, a few of them, yes. So they they do thaw them out, yeah. Okay, but but they don't like. Well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. The guy with John. who doesn't have a speaking line. That's the whole thing with the John character in Into Darkness. If they'd done a pan, they they do a pan over one of the frozen peoples. Uh huh. Just the Ricardo Montalban yep, chest in there, so, and yep. with a little tag on it that said "Con." That's all you would have had to do, and I that's probably right. would not be as infuriated as I was. That's you right. Could have done like, everything that have, differently. That would have been the right move, but they also wanted to have that thing where somebody shouts "Con," right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, derailed. Totally derailed. Hitchcock. <laughs> Benedict the Cumberbatch. <laughs> what else? Sure I don't know. I think that's it. 
I thought it was a really good film. And Aubrey almost made it through the end. Oh, uh, yeah. She covered her You know, ass. if you do it she right, every time you introduce your wife for the next 50 years, you'll be able to say, this is my new wife. You just said my new wife, Aubrey, earlier. You can call her that he's, for the next 50 years. His now yeah. wife, because, and this yeah. will get uh, less and less common as, as time goes on. There's a very recent period during yeah. which she wasn't his wife. Right. So it's like this story happens prior to his wedding, yes. but they are now married. Right. Yeah. So there's this kind of weird temporal thing where he has to specify. Yes. It's like when you talk about an ex-girlfriend, but the story is back when you were dating them. It's yes. kind of like the yeah. same yes, thing. Yes. My girlfriend at the time. So we need to call it like... At the time. My fiance at the time. Yeah, yeah. Now my wife. Yes, yes. Right. But hey, I still introduce my wife as my new wife. I, yeah, yeah I, I never get tired of that. My wife just returned from vacation, and it's fun to start saying the W word again. Yeah. Or you could just say, you could call her your ex-fiance. No, I don't. Do <laughs> eh, no. You'd probably, you'd probably need to start things uh, before. Also. You'd have, to, you'd have to say, all your stories need to say, uh, I've got a story that happened BM. No. <laughs> before no. marriage. No. And this story takes no. place after no. marriage. AM. BM also, and AM. Learn from my I mistakes, Zach. Anyway, never so. refer to her as the future ex, Mrs. Wolf. No, don't because no. that's the same thing. It's just the reverse, and then you're you're J.J. Abrams instead of Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, Hitchcock. yeah. All right. Oh so no, because gonna... the mystery is when. Oh. <laughs> so that's gonna do it for this week on Zach on Film. Make sure to majorspoilers dot com where you can find this podcast posting page. You can give all your thoughts about Psycho and all of the different crazy things that were discussed on this show oh, while oh, you sorry, were there. Uh, click on Amazon dot com where you can buy your own. Uh, probably Blu-ray edition of Psycho and all of the other great Hitchcockian films. Uh, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers to keep this podcasting, producing machine a chugging along. Uh, next week, we will be talking about Bullet on Zach on Film. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details